you have a Bible this morning, uh, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the middle of each aisle. Um, flag somebody down who's sitting over there, they pass you one over. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning because we're unpacking together the longest section of Jesus' teaching anywhere in the Bible. It's a section that's often been called the Sermon on the Mount because that's where he happened to deliver it. But it's really a sermon about his kingdom. Jesus came preaching a kingdom and himself as a king as the one who'd been wait, uh, long awaited by Israel, uh, the one who would make right all the things that had gone wrong with the world and establish a new world, a new kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. And, and this sermon is his manifesto on what that kingdom looks like. And the sermon starts with a section that we have been calling, because Christians have been calling it this for a long time, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Uh, and, and the Beatitudes are short, a set of short, pithy statements that all have the same format. I want, to remind, I want to remind those of you who've been with us and introduce those of you who are with us for the first time to what this format is. There's three parts to each format. To, to, there's three parts to the format, to each uh, statement. Look at verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5 and you'll see the first one. Blessed, there's your first part. It's a pronouncement. It's a pronouncement of Jesus on the people he's about to describe. They are Blessed. It's not a description of anything they feel. It's a description of what he declares them to be. It's really his statement of their approval. They are approved of. They are favored by God. That's part number one. It's the same all the way down the list of Beatitudes. Part number two is a description or a profile of the person he's talking about. So in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. 5.5, five, what we'll look at today, blessed are the meek. There he's profiling what kind of person gets this pronouncement of blessing or approval. And then the last part of it is a description of the kingdom. So you'll notice in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Each one of those in that third section is really a different description of the kingdom that Jesus is coming to bring. So one thing you may have noticed, one thing I'll point out in case you didn't notice, is that if you look at the list all together, the pronouncement is always the same. These people are blessed, they're approved of, they're favored by God. The end piece is pretty much the same, they're variations on a theme. These people get the kingdom and these benefits of the kingdom. So what changes most as you work down through each beatitude is the profile. What are these people like? That's where Jesus is drawing our attention. He wants us to know and understand what it would look like to be one of those who get this blessing, to be one of those who belong to this kingdom. So each week, that's where we're spending most of our time. What is this profile? And it has not been what we would have expected started out by telling us that it's the poor in spirit who get this blessing. People who know that they're spiritually and morally bankrupt, that they know that they have nothing. You expect them to start describing this kingdom as full of people who are awesome. He describes it as full of people who know they're nothing. Then he moves on to mourning. Mourning? Really? You approve of those? You give the kingdom to those who are mourning? Yes. Then this third one goes from surprising to just downright strange, confusing. Here he says, it's the meek who are blessed. It's the meek who inherit the earth. That's a word we think we know. 
And our associations with this word are not positive, right? Played a little word association game with some friends over meek earlier this week. What we came up with was really consistent. It was also not flattering at all. The meek are those who are shy. Those who are really quiet. Those who are passive. Maybe timid or weak. One of these friends had recently been part of a job interview process where another one of the interviewers described one candidate as meek. It was not a compliment. It was a reason not to give the guy the job. At best, we think of meekness as a personality type. That's just at best. Some people are just meek. At worst, it's a character deficiency. Here's what MiriamWebster.com, this is one of its definitions for meek. Uh, Deficient in spirit and courage, not strong. Jesus pronounces blessing on what we consider to be a weakness. And Jesus assumes it's not a personality type, it's a non-negotiable for everybody who's in the kingdom. Did you get that? It's not a personality type that you either have or don't have. It's a non-negotiable for everybody who's in his kingdom. So two questions this morning. What is meekness? And how do we cultivate meekness? What is meekness and how do we cultivate meekness? Let's take those questions to our text. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word while I read Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is God's word, friends. You can be seated. This is one of those times when it helps to look closely at the context where this word was spoken. When Jesus used it, he doesn't tell us here much about what it means, but he was pulling off of a long history of texts that he grew up into and that those that he was talking to would have grown up into and been familiar with. And in this case, not only... Do we know when he says meek, he's talking about an Old Testament word? In this case, not only do we know that general background was there, he's actually quoting directly from a passage in the Old Testament. So if we want to know what he means by meekness here, where we have to start is his source material. I want you to flip over into the Old Testament to the book of Psalms. Flip over to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, verse 11, this is what it says. The meek shall inherit the land. Sound familiar? It's a direct quote. So, I think it's fair to say, if we were to back up in this psalm to the top and read it down to where he draws that conclusion that the meek inherit the land, we'll get a picture of what those meek people look like. The first Ten verses of this psalm profile, tease out the different dimensions of meekness, building to that conclusion that it's the meek who inherit the land. If we want to know what Jesus had in mind, we can look at Psalm 37 and get a pretty good idea. That's what we want to do this morning, to start out. And I'll just tell you at the top, before we get into the details, meekness is really similar to being poor in spirit, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's a really similar idea. The difference is, That poor in spirit is a way of looking at yourself. It's a way of, it's a self-analysis or a self-awareness, a knowledge that you don't have anything to bring to the table, that you're bankrupt morally and spiritually. Whereas meekness is a way of relating to other people. 
Meekness is what it looks like for somebody who's poor in spirit to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with other people. Meekness is a posture. Poor in spirit about how I think of myself. Meekness about how I relate to God and others. So we're going we're gonna to tease that out of Psalm 37. How do the meek people relate to God? How do meek people relate to others? Let's look at Psalm 37 first to see how, how the meek relate to God. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Who are the meek? They're those who trust the Lord enough to obey Him. Verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Who are the meek? The meek are the ones who delight in the Lord, whose desire is for Him, who are satisfied in Him and in nothing else. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Who are the meek? They're those who put everything on the Lord. Everything about their lives, everything important to them, everything gets left committed to His care and His responsibility, trusting that He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and justice as the noonday. Verse 7, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not over the one who prospers in His way. Who are the meek? They're the ones who are still. They're patient. They wait. They're not anxious as if He might not provide. They're not fretful. There's a word that comes up over and over in Psalm 37. It's a great way to summarize, I think, what the meek, by, by, by a contrast, what the meek are supposed to be like what the meek are like. They're satisfied. They're delighted by God. They're stable because of that. They're good to just wait on Him and see what He does. And verse 11 tell us, tells us that they inherit the land. So, so far, meekness as a posture towards God is a kind of steadiness. It's even keel. It's stable. And therefore, even just with this little bit we've seen so far, it's a far cry from weakness, isn't it? It's not timidity. It's not a lack of courage. It's immovable strength. It's the strength of an oak tree in a windstorm compared to a reed of grass. It's the strength of, a, of an aircraft carrier through choppy seas as opposed to a small fishing vessel. It's in its context. It's affected by the storm, but it's not tossed around. It's steady. Same image comes out when we start to look at how Psalm 37 describes the meek relating to other people. We talked about it as a kind of rest in God. It's also a kind of peace with others. So let's look back through Psalm 37. Start in verse 1. All those fret nots come back at us again. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. The meek are people who aren't consumed by what other people are getting out of life and how other people are getting it. Other people are not their standard. They aren't competitive with others. Look at verse 6. Remember that promise. He'll bring, he, God will bring forth your righteousness as the light. You don't have to prove yourself to be in the right, he'll do it. He'll take care of that. He'll bring forth justice. You don't have to establish justice for yourself. 
They're not into defending themselves, in other words. Look at verse 7. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Again, just like verse 1. They don't fret over the prosperity of other people. They're not threatened by it. They're not trying to match it. They're not trying to overcome it. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. They hold back from anger, from wrath, from a fretful anxiety. They wait for the Lord and they will inherit the land. Reminds me of the meekness that we talked about in our James series from James 1, verse 19. Talked there about a meek person as one who's slow to speak, who's slow to anger, not easily provoked, quick to hear. The meek are, are, are not on edge all the time, trying to make sure they're getting theirs. They're willing to listen to other people, even people they disagree with. They don't have to be the first one to get their words in. Let me consolidate this and put a couple categories on it for you in honor of Super Bowl Sunday. The meek person doesn't play offense, and the meek person doesn't play defense. They don't have to play offense. They're not constantly trying to move the ball down the field of their life. They're not constantly trying to overcome others to get the prize. They don't need to win. The meek are not constantly trying to one-up those who are prosperous. They aren't aggressive towards others, competitive, angling to get ahead. They're not quick to speak, assuming what they have to say has to be heard. They're not overtly aggressive. They wouldn't say something to hurt someone else. But they're, not also, they're also not passively aggressive, sort of manipulating people and situations through subtle comments. They don't say things negative about others to make themselves look better. They don't have to make those attacks because they're good. They're okay. They're waiting. They're patient. They're trusting. They don't play offense. They also don't play defense. So so maybe you're hearing this picture so far and it sounds great to you because you can't imagine going after somebody else. That's just not you. You wouldn't try to hurt anyone or try to establish yourself over anyone else. Some of that could just be how you're wired, though. That That part could be personality. There's another error, though, out of step with meekness that may come more naturally to you. It could be that you're easily offended. Quick to be on the defensive. Maybe you often find yourself breaking down the comments of other people looking for deeper meanings. Looking for signs of disrespect or hurtfulness towards you. You tired of feeling hurt by other people? What you need is meekness. Because the meek aren't defensive or overly sensitive. Because they know the Lord defends what really matters to them. Nothing that matters is theirs to defend. One writer compared the meek to wet tinder. They don't take fire easily. The meek should be really... Here's a better way to put it. The meek should be really... Really frustrating for passive-aggressive people. (laughs) Because you just can't get through to them. You can't get through to them with subtle illusions. If you want to offend the meek, you better just lay it out there. Because they're not looking for it. So so far, this picture is starkly countercultural, isn't it? The meek aren't looking to win at life. They're looking to make peace. 
Think of what the wisdom of the world tells us now. The wisdom of the world tells us, make sure you get yours. Take care of yourself. Don't you know it's war out there that only the fittest survive? The wisdom of the world says, protect yourself. Make sure you've got good, immovable boundaries. Don't let anyone take advantage of you. Learn to be sensitive to manipulation or disregard or ill intent. Read that stuff between the lines so you make sure you're protected. But the problem with this advice, friends, is it doesn't lead to peace. If everybody took it at the same time, if everybody was equally as self-centered as the wisdom of the world tells us to be, we're just going to be bumping into each other all the time. We're going to be living in a war zone. Doesn't that sound about right? But the meek don't care to win. They want peace with others. They aren't surprised or put off when others fail to treat them like the center of the universe. The wisdom of the world says, get yours, protect yours. The wisdom of Christ says, fret not, be still, refrain, do good, be patient. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the land. This is a message that's countercultural, but friends, there is no weakness here. There is no weakness in this picture of meekness. Meekness is a picture of strength. Proverbs 16.32 says that whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is, is better than he who takes a city. The easy thing, the weak thing, is to just be carried along by the moment by the passions of now. What takes incredible strength is to stay steady, to resist, to be the tanker ship or the aircraft carrier in choppy seas. It's not to be unaffected. It's to be steady. That's meekness. Rest in God and peace with others. So how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate this kind of meekness? It's not natural, is it? This is way more than a personality type. Anybody out there got this personality type? Yeah, I don't think so. This is, this is fundamentally unnatural on one way or the other. You know, either you're going to be a really defensive person or a really aggressive person, or maybe a little bit of both mixed in together, but nobody is meek in the way Jesus is, is describing what he's evoking Psalm 37, that doesn't look like any of us by nature. So how do we cultivate it? How can we lean into what God wants to produce in us by his grace? That's what I want to spend the last 10 minutes or so unpacking. I want to give you three steps. Now, all three of these steps come out of Matthew, out of this context and what we're going to get to a little bit later. This is what Jesus would have had in mind because he's about to go there in his own ministry, okay, later on in the book of Matthew. Here's the first step. First, we've got to be poor in spirit. You don't get to be meek without being poor in spirit first. It's hard to rest in God when we think we might do a better job of running our lives than He's doing. When we're worried that He may not give us what we deserve. 
when we're concerned that we see more of the picture than he does. It's only the desperation of the poor in spirit, of people who know they have nothing. Only that kind of desperation prepares us to rest in God as our last and only hope. To let Him be everything for us or we have nothing. And only the poor in spirit can keep peace with others. Only the poor in spirit who aren't fixated on their rights, on what's owed to them, on whether they're being valued at the proper level, only the poor in spirit know better than to demand what they deserve. I love the way another a pastor uh, named Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite pastors, uh, he was a pastor last century, especially in the 50s and 60s in London. He's got a great book on the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe one on the resource table, you can check back there and see. He comes to this passage, and this is something that, re- this is a passage, uh, this passage in his sermon on what meekness means really struck me. And I think it could be abused. I don't think we should take, should take it in the context as he meant it and not over, over apply this, but listen to what he says. To be meek means that you have finished with yourself altogether. You come to see you have no rights or deserts at all. You come to realize that nobody can harm you. When a man truly sees himself, he knows nobody can say anything about him that's too bad. You need not worry about what men say or do. You know you deserve it all and more. Once again, he says, I would define meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Until you're poor in spirit, you won't be able to connect with the gospel promises Jesus came, gave his life in order to establish. You won't, you won't understand why it was necessary for the God who made you to become one of us, to live a life of perfection and to die a death that is a sacrifice that we can't do without. None of that, that stuff is just going to sound too abstract and otherworldly. Unless you realize you really have nothing. Unless you realize your only hope is a radical solution. Otherwise, what's the point of all this story that we sing and that we celebrate in this meal and that we read to each other and pray through? Why would God have to take those steps to make me okay unless I really am without hope and unsavable otherwise? Being poor in spirit is the only way that the gospel starts to make sense. The gospel is this. The God who made you for himself, the God whom you've rejected on every day of your life, the God who is the source behind all the dignity and beauty that you have in yourself and that you produce in the world, the God who made you for himself that you have denied every day of your life, that same God has responded to you with love, with compassion. He's responded to your pulling back from him, running away from him by drawing near to you, by becoming like you, by becoming one of you so he can understand you and what you need. And then by giving his life to absorb the penalty that your sin demands. He lives again now because that penalty was paid in full. And only if you're poor in spirit will you be able to grab onto that message and see it for the sweet promise that it is. And before you've done that, you won't be able to be meek. So how do we get to meekness? The first thing is we've got to press into poverty of spirit. 
We've got to embrace what the Bible says about who we are, about what we aren't apart from Christ. Then, second, we've got to claim his promises. We've got to put those promises always in front of our minds because otherwise they won't get into our hearts and, and our hearts will be affected more by the things that are pressing in on us in our life than by the things God told us he has done for us. Let me say more about that. Look at what he says in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. He wants you thinking about what you will inherit. If you want to be meek, you've got to think about the fact that God has promised to give you everything because of Jesus. And let me put this in a different way. When your insides are churning, when defensiveness or aggression, when anger or hurt is churning in you, when you're feeling vulnerable, that is a sign that your heart in that moment is placed on something that is vulnerable. Your heart is attached to something that you maybe don't have yet and want or to something that you have but think you can't protect. And therefore, your heart is placed on something other than what God has promised you. Your heart is placed on something other than the earth that you will inherit. Only by constantly putting God's promises to us in front of us, by coming back to them, by rallying to them, when something other than meekness is churning in us, do we start to live into and cultivate meekness as a more natural response to the things that are happening to us. Jesus is going to talk about this a little bit more in the next chapter, in chapter 6. There he calls us to, to put our treasure on things that can't be destroyed. He says, don't put your treasure on things that moth or rust can destroy, things that time is just going to eat away. Don't put your treasure on things that thieves can break in on and steal, things that aren't permanent, things that aren't secure, things that have to be protected. Don't, don't put your treasure there. Put your treasure in heaven on the promises that God has made to you, on the promises that God will deliver for you, on the things that he doesn't ask you to deliver for yourself, the things that he doesn't ask you to protect, that he doesn't ask you to provide, the things that are just there, given to you as a gift, protected once and for all by him. Put your heart there, and meekness will result. Because you won't be fretting over what you have to provide or protect. You can rest you can have peace. Think about it like this. Think about the guy who's fin- just finishing up his training and has got a promise of a job. It's the, the job that he needs, the job that he would want, a job that could last for an entire career. Guy's got the promise of that job, but he's also got a summer internship opportunity in the meantime. Now, how's the guy who knows he's got a guaranteed perfect job for him going to interact with that summer internship? Well, maybe he wants it. could be some valuable experience. could learn something from it. could be a good gift. Maybe you seek it. But is he going to be competitive about it? Is he going to be stressed over whether someone else has got a better application? Is he going to cling to it as life itself? No. The internship is not affecting the thing he really wants, which is the perfect job. If anything, it would have been a means to that job that he's already got. He he enters that opportunity with open hands. If he gets it, great. If he doesn't get it, no big deal. Got the job. That's how Christ is, is urging us to think about his promises to us. We have everything. The meek inherit the land. Put your heart there. 
and you won't be blown around by the choppy seas of your life. One last step. Got to look to Jesus. We're Christians. We have to end every sermon there. We look to Jesus. That's what we do. That's how we cope. That's how we make it. I read somewhere that Jesus doesn't ask us to give sight to the blind. He doesn't ask us to walk on the water. He doesn't ask us to raise the dead. He doesn't ask us to give life, give our lives so that others can live and be forgiven. He doesn't ask us to do all sorts of things that he came doing. Those were his to do, not ours. What does he ask us to do? He asks us to learn meekness from him. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus says this, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Is that you? That's me. Come to you. Here's, let's put another word on it. Come to, you, come to me all who are fretful. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn what? Learn how to, del- to deliver miracles? No. I am gentle or meek. Same word. Come and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am meek and lowly in heart. And learning that from me, you will find rest for your souls. Look to the one who did not consider all of the beautiful things he enjoyed with his father, something he couldn't let go of, but emptied himself and became like us, became obedient to his father, rested in his father's will for his life, all the way to the end, even to the cross. Look on him who throughout his life endured slander, endured misunderstanding of who he was and what he was about, who endured abuse, verbal and physical, who even endured death, who did it to offer an inheritance to those of us who otherwise had nothing. Why did he face all that he faced? Hebrews tells us he did it for the joy that was set before him. His eyes were on the inheritance. His eyes were on the crown. He could handle the choppy seas of abuse, of slander, of insult, of lies, of even physical torture. He could endure it all because his eyes were set on the joy that was set before him. And look to him now as the one who conquered the grave who lives now in his meekness to give his meekness to those who trust him who lives now to make possible for us the things he put on display throughout his life how do you cultivate meekness? you look to Jesus you learn it from him and you ask of him to give it to you as his gift Learn from him and you will find rest for your souls. Father, would you help us for your name's sake reflect the beauty of Christ's character even though we can't on our own. We want to see this beauty reflected in the way we love each other in the calmness that we have in our hearts because of you and your care. 
We want to be people who are even keel, stable. And we aren't. Make us meek by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.